The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IONS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Rabbi Stephen Robbins, can claim the unfortunate honor of having experienced six near deaths, which is a difficult path to walk to walking a blessed life in this world. Rabbi Robbins is a co-founder and past president of the Academy for Jewish Religion in California. And with a doctorate in psychology, he specializes in brain science and the application of Kabbalistic wisdom, together with scientific knowledge, as a means of healing physical and emotional trauma. Rabbi Robbins, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you so much for the invitation, Lee. I'm uh, looking forward to this. Oh, I am too. Well, we should probably begin with your telling us the experiences uh, that you remember from your near deaths. Well, since I've had six of them, um, maybe I ought to just lay out what all six of them are in general, and then we can pick up on specifics um, another time. Well, you, first, why don't we... I was go going ahead. to say, the you know, the first one is a very important, so if you tell that one in detail. Okay. Um, let me just lay them out, then come back. The first okay. experience was that I was born dead, uh, strangled by the umbilical cord, uh, and due to a difficult birth, I came out, ended up coming out feet first, and when the doctor pulled me out, I was dead. The rest of it I'll pick up another time, except that I remember what it was, what the experience was of coming into the world, being strangled, then being my soul being taken out to return to the source, and then the doctor bringing me back to life. Yes. So that the other five experiences of NDEs are, in a sense, conditioned by the first. I had a variety of experiences as an infant and a child that are like near-death experiences, um, but I'm going to focus on the next formal one, <clears throat> which happened when I was 19, and I had a profoundly serious case of hepatitis. And by the time I got to the hospital, I'd been um, living with it for over a week um, as we were driving back from Northern California, where I was infected, back to Los Angeles and um, got an appointment with my family doctor and then was sent to the hospital, St. John's. This was in, in 63, um, before, so I was put in the hospital and I was running a temperature of 107. Mm-hmm. So they packed me in ice, uh, and I was that way for almost, um, 10 days, I believe, something like that. And in that experience, I actually went over and back or made two transits, as I now refer to them, while in the fever state. And um, when I came, finally came back, and the the fever diminished, 
I was then in the hospital in um, isolation for um, another month. Then when I got out and tried to go back to school, that was both at Hebrew Union College, which was where I was studying to be a rabbi, and to UCLA, where I was working on my uh, bachelor's in history and sociology. But I began to get sick, was running a low-grade fever and had a lot of pain where my liver was. And the doctors did some studies and said that it appeared that 90% of my liver had been destroyed and that given the state of medicine in 1963, there was nothing they could do about it. So I was told that I was probably going to die in anywhere from several weeks to several months and that I should go home and, and do whatever prayers I was doing and um, wait. So I, mm. the longer story I'll deal with another time, but I was in, um, in recovery for a year. And at the end of the year, I, my liver started to regrow and I went back to school. There were a variety of other experiences, which I'll refer to when I talk more. But the next series of NDEs began in 1985 when I was, um, I believe, 31, no, 41, when I, I got the what was then called the type A influenza uh, and because of its origin was called the Philippine flu. And that flu was so severe. It's one of those that you ended up coughing for weeks or even months after the original infection. So I was coughing constantly from January through February and into the middle of March when the coughing finally stopped. And I ended up going back to exercise, which for me was running. I used to run three to five miles uh, several times a week. So I, we were at the beach and I took a, staying in a friend's condo, I took a kind of a walk run very slowly and on the way back, I felt this huge pain in my lungs, and it felt like they tore open. I could barely breathe. I went, um, I saw the doctor. They put me on asthma medication, which didn't work, um, until finally I was put on massive doses of prednisone and other stronger bronchial dilators. Then in 87, my lungs collapsed again. Uh, my lungs collapsed for the first time, and um, I had m my near-death experience in which, um, I, you know, I left because uh, I couldn't breathe, and then I was returned, which I'll describe in more detail. The next NDE came in 91 when I got an infection again. My lungs collapsed January of that year. I was in the hospital um, in 87, I was in the hospital for about a month. The same was true the second time in 91 when my lungs had collapsed. Infection 
took um, a longer period of time to recover and go back to work. By 93, I had left my position uh, as the rabbi of Temple Emanuel in Beverly Hills, which is where I was serving when I got the influenza in 85 and the first uh, NDE in 87 from lung collapse, then the second in 91. In 90, later in 91, 92, I left Temple Emanuel to pursue uh, the teaching and the learning that had been released from uh, all of my near-death experiences. And uh, my wife, uh, Eva, and I, who was functioning as the cantor, me as a rabbi, we started a, a very alternative-style synagogue, which eventually we would call transdenominational, in which the focus was the study of mysticism, Kabbalah, the development of the person and the soul, until wow. I finally got sick in 2005. My lungs collapsed for the third time, and um, in that one, it was really more serious, and they didn't find a way to get my lungs to begin working autonomously until five to six weeks after I went in. Uh, and as I was getting ready to leave the hospital to go home, I got hit with later what later turned out to be a massive shingles infection. The pain wow. was staggering uh, because um, the shingles had destroyed the nerves to my skin and the nerves to my muscles from T11, which is essentially mid-back, down to L45, which is my my very lower lumbars. And, mm. the, and it was all the muscle and skin nerves on the right side of my body at my vertebrae all the way over to mid mid belly and lower groin. And wow. all of that area was at level 10 pain. Uh, and I went home in level 10 pain another six weeks later when they were able to finally get me off of intense intravenous uh, pain medications, including Dilaudid and Demerol, which would only lower the pain from a 10 to a 7, uh, sometimes an 8. And I learned to manage the rest of the pain with uh, the meditational uh, work that I had been teaching everybody else. Oh, good. So I went home, and I have lived with that level 10 pain 24-7 for 14 years. Well, Stephen, um, let's go back to, to your first... Wait, wait, uh, wait, there's one more. Oh, okay. In January of uh, 18, I had my last uh, NDE, which was as usual as my birth. Uh, I just stopped breathing and my heart stopped. And when they mm. got me into the um, emergency room at uh, Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital, they could they they hooked me up, found that I was not breathing. 
and my heart was not beating. And so they chose to intubate me to try and get my lungs working, which would get my heart pumping. Yes. Um, and when they, when they put the, when they tried to put the tube in my throat, my arm came up and pushed it away, which was pretty startling for them. And then I, um, my arm dropped down and the doctor said he figured that it was a muscular response. So then they tried to put it in again and my arm came up and this time my hand pushed the tube away, held it down and they heard me say to them, don't do that to me. You'll hurt me. You'll kill me. Wow. And in that moment, they were all staggered because I was still not breathing and my heart was still not beating. And so uh, they turned to my driver because I always had one since uh, I couldn't drive. I didn't couldn't trust whether I would be functional. And um, my driver said, look, he's an unusual man. He's told you <laughs> not to do it. So they withdrew the attempt to revive me. And they said about and half an hour later, I came back. Wow. And, uh, and a half an hour after that, I got up and went home. That's um, amazing. That's so, an amazing story. So that, that was my last one. And it was in the last one that I got the message about ions that I delivered to, um, to a series of groups and eventually to the board of ions, which has now invited me to participate in, in having that message become part of the IONS mission statement. Tell us about that message that you received about IONS. Every time I have gone or made the transit, there is a progression so that each time I go farther out, farther away from the entrance into physicality, and each time there is this greater diffusion until physicality drops away and it's my my total spiritual being from which my soul in this world um, entered into into my body mm-hmm. and this the, the way the best way I can describe that is that in the Zohar the mystic commentary on 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 the Torah the first Five books of the soul. The the teachers in the Zohar say that the body is a shoe for the soul's foot. In other words, there's very little of our soul which is present in this world. That the majority of the soul is kept in at the farther reaches of the soul's total presence and that bit of soul is renewed every week so that on on the sabbath so that we can continue to stay in the world so based on that so when i go there i get messages to bring back with me and those messages are about 
what I'm doing in this world in order to fulfill my soul's purpose. And one of the messages, I frequently hold those messages and don't deliver them unless there is some moment in which there is a confluence between the the souls here and what I learned there. So in this case, that happened regarding my participation in IONS and the welcome with which it has been received. And so I was instructed to deliver the message, which was the reason for this NDE. And the message is this, that given the large number of people in this world who either have or have had or will have NDEs, anywhere from 4 to 6 percent of, uh, of American population and similarly around the world, that if all of those people of various faiths and cultures, levels of education, um, monetary uh, status, social status, etc., hold in common one clear experience that in these transits in the NDE, we all come back not afraid of death anymore. And that that, that absence of the fear of death has really led to all of us really being transformed in the way in which we live in this world. Mm. We live with much more peace, with a sense of equanimity about what happens and without the kind of urgency that the fear of death engenders us with. And so you yes. see, you see Ian's uh, function as a unifying force in, in the world. That's correct. That, that if we, if Ian's as a platform would reach out around the United States, Europe, Asia to all of those who've had NDEs and we were all to deliver the unifying message that you've now referred to, that we no longer need to be afraid of death, that much of the evil in the world would disappear Mm -hmm. because the drive ultimately at the source of evil is this fear of death itself. To remove that fear would change people so enormously that this would be the next stage in the development of human progress both spiritually, intellectually, and emotionally, and behaviorally, so that spirituality or mysticism, science or theoretical physics, and, and human emotion, physicality, would be elevated to a level of function that would be filled with a great sense of wellness, sense of gratitude and joy at being relieved of this burden of the fear of death so that 
the need for our working our our fear of death and the rage that it creates at at living this way would cease to be and we would begin to work together toward another stage of human accomplishment which is to be partners with the Holy One in bringing existence to another stage of of growth of wholeness and therefore uplifting all of all of incomplete existence into another stage of wholeness. I, I can see how this uh, all of this could have evolved in your mind from from the story of your first NDE. How much that must have contributed to it. I wonder if you could tell us that uh, in the relationship you had with the doctor who saved your life. I finished my education both at UCLA and at Hebrew Union College campus in Los Angeles, and I was about to move back to Cincinnati, where the the original source of Hebrew Union College and the completion of my graduate school and ordination would take place. And so something I had been wanting to do for a while, I went to find the doctor who had delivered me. And uh, because what my mother told me about my birth didn't didn't square with my own inner experience of what my my coming into this world was like. So I found him and I went to see him and I'm sitting in his office and I'm I think 23 years old and he walks and he looks at me and says, Rabbi Stephen Robbins. Oh, where's your wife? Didn't you bring her? And I said, no, I'm not here because of a wife. I'm here because of me. So he looked at me and he said, I don't understand. And so I said to him, on May 7th, 1940, and at that moment, he gasped and he jumped out of his chair and he backed up against the wall. And he stretched out his arm with his finger pointed at me, this look of shock and then joy, smiling, tears coming to his eyes. And he said, you're that baby, which just resonated in me. And everything began swirling and churning. And Mm. he said, there isn't a day in my life that goes has gone by since your birth that you don't come into my into my thoughts said you are always with me and and the look that passed between us when you came alive so i said i'm here so you will tell me what you experienced of my birth so when I am writing my memoir about me, the beginning of it is the statement, I was not born. I was removed from my mother's body dead. It was the doctor who breathed into me that brought me to life in this world. Just as, as God, the Holy One breathed, life into Adam, so did the doctor, as uh, 
as a representative, as a vessel of that breath, breathed into me in 1944, did infant CPR, and brought me to life. He, he continued with his, his story. He said, I had been severely wounded in a kamikaze attack in, in the Pacific as a doctor. And what I discovered later is that they had saved my life and that I appeared to have died several times and returned, which I knew nothing about. NDEs were really not even any kind of ongoing discussion back in the early 60s. And he said, uh, I felt enormous guilt and that I had been returned to life as a punishment. I looked at him on punishment. Hmm. Why punishment? And he said to me, I felt that instead of relieving me of the burden, the guilt about all of the men that I couldn't save, all of them that were put in my care, to, to sew back together to bring to life. And most of them were so badly torn apart by the, by the Japanese bombardments that there was nothing I could do for them. I didn't have the skill. And so when my first assignment as a civilian doctor in, in spring of 44, and I got a call that my first act as a doctor would be delivering a baby since I'm trained in OBGYN. I felt a great sense of hope expectation that bringing a life into this world would begin compensating for all the lives that I took out of this world. So I, I went there and the birth was extraordinarily difficult. You were trapped in the birth canal uh, and it took a, a, a longer period of time. We had to cut your mother open enough to finally get you twisted around and to draw you out of her feet first. And when you finally came out, I could see why your body was limp and white. And it was that the umbilical cord was wrapped several times around your neck and you were dead. There was no heartbeat and no breath. And uh, I cut the umbilical cord, we unwound, unwound it around your neck, and I picked you up, and at that moment your your arms fell, your your head slung down, and it was clear that I had delivered another death, in, uh, in this case, not out of the world, but into it, and I felt even more punished and more abandoned by God than I had ever felt. And when the the nurse picked you up to go register you as a stillborn, he looked at me and he said, there was suddenly this overwhelming presence, it's the only way I can describe it, that flowed deeply 
into me. And it filled me with a sense of purpose as if this presence was speaking to me and said, you have to make this baby live in this world. And we're, and we are putting that capacity in your hands. Take this baby and make it live. And I reached over and I took you from the arms of the nurse who was taking you to register you as a stillbirth. And in that moment, this presence in me took my hands as if, as if they weren't mine, reached out, and I took you from, from the nurse and held you and began to massage your chest and your back. And then I felt this presence press my head down upon your face and I began to breathe into you. I now know that what we were doing was a later to be called infant CPR. But in, um, in May 7th of 1944, when the nurse and the other doctors saw me doing this, they thought I had gone crazy. Hmm. I don't know how long I, I breathed into you and massaged your chest, but at one moment I felt you take a breath to breathe into the breath that I was breathing out into you. And you shook a couple of times and be, and began to breathe on your own. That moment I felt this enormous, not just feeling of relief, but this sense of joy and gratitude. And I pulled my head back and I looked at you and you opened your eyes and looked into mine. You didn't cry. You didn't move around as one would normally expect a newborn coming from this trauma to do. You just looked at me and you were so silent. And when I looked into your eyes, I felt that I was seeing the oldest and wisest eyes that I had ever seen. And at that moment, the presence left me, but the presence, the presence left you in my arms. Wow. An incredible story. On that note, <laughs> Rabbi Robbins, thank you so much. Um, I think we'll have probably four shows <laughs> out of this discussion, and we probably could have a 20 more, but um, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and the story of um, mysticism uh, with us today. If listeners would like to hear today's program again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about the work of IANS, check out their website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio with Rabbi Stephen Robbins. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.